Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Corporate Casket. My name is Blair, or the Illuminati, and today we're going to be talking about mobile games. I feel like we've all heard the phrase somewhere that mobile games are addictive, and I'm curious enough to find out if they are and by how much, if that's something we can even quantify, and just figure out the why. What is it about mobile games that makes them so hard to put down? Today, I hope to answer that question and hopefully a few other things that come along the line. So let's dive right into today's episode. A lot of this, as many of you may have guessed, has something to do with dopamine. Mobile games and social media apps like Instagram and Facebook give us a supposed dopamine hit when we see those likes and we get those rewards for gameplay. But in order to understand the addiction to phone games, we need to understand dopamine. Dopamine, as described by Psychology Today, is known as the feel-good neurotransmitter, a chemical that ferries information between neurons. The brain releases it when we eat food that we crave or while we have sex, contributing to feelings of pleasure and satisfaction as part of the reward system. This important neurochemical boosts mood, motivation, and attention, and helps regulate movement, learning, and emotional responses. Dopamine isn't necessarily a bad thing, and far from it, honestly. It gives us a happy, motivated feeling, LabRoots describes it as our cheerleaders, and Psychology Today says it makes us human. However, sensation seeking, as they put it, is where the problem comes in. One article from Harvard also states, although not as intense as a hit of cocaine, positive social stimuli will similarly result in a release of dopamine, reinforcing whatever behavior preceded it. Cognitive neuroscientists have shown that rewarding social stimuli, laughing faces, positive recognition by our peers, messages from loved ones, activate the same dopaminergic reward pathways. Smartphones have provided us with a virtually unlimited supply of social stimuli, both positive and negative. Every notification, whether it's a text message, a like on Instagram, or a Facebook notification, has the potential to be a positive social stimulus and dopamine influx. So when you hear how addictive mobile games are, whether it's from this video or from another source, no, it's not as addicting as taking a hard drug. However, As a separate Psychology Today article states, it's important to understand that it's not dopamine itself that is addictive. They say, dopamine is not a reward chemical. That's not actually the way our body uses it. First, like all things in our body, dopamine serves many purposes. It serves as a vasodilator, expanding blood vessels in our body. Loss of dopamine results in Parkinsonian conditions, a degenerative neuromuscular disorder. Most antipsychotic drugs work by inhibiting the function of dopamine, not because its reward makes people hallucinate, but because the brains of people with schizophrenia may be overly sensitive to the effects of dopamine. ADHD, attention deficit and hyperactivity disorder, may involve in part decreased dopamine activity, where parts of the brain aren't working well enough to constrain attention and resist impulses. Dopamine serves many complex functions in the brain and only kindergarten brain science describes it as an addictive drug. When a person is about to experience pleasure, dopamine is released in the brain and in the parts of the brain that experience and process pleasure. Dopamine's role here is not that it makes you feel good, it doesn't. The pleasure and hedonic or euphoria feeling comes from opioids in the brain, neurochemicals which increase pleasure and deaden pain. 
Dopamine's role in pleasure and reward is that it helps your brain recognize incentive salience. This means that it's like a little red flag to your brain saying, hey, pay attention, this is about to feel good and you'll want to remember this so you can do it again. A critical issue here is a lack of dopamine doesn't actually make the experience feel less good. In studies with rats where dopamine was suppressed, rats showed normal hedonic reaction patterns and still showed normal pleasure responses even though dopamine was suppressed. The point of all of this is just to say that dopamine is far more complicated than we give it credit for. I could quote a few more articles that go into the nitty gritty of what dopamine does to our brain exactly, but I think I might lose a few of you and I'm not entirely sure what some of those articles are saying at times, so it's probably not my place to speak on them. But I think this gives us a rough understanding of what dopamine is. So let's get into its role in mobile games and get back to that big question. Why are mobile games addictive? As expected, one example of an addicting mobile game I see used a lot in many of these articles and in general is Candy Crush. Now there's a million issues with Candy Crush posted online, typically involving people upset that they ripped off Candy Swipe, which came before them. And as scummy as that may be, that's not what we're going to be focusing on in the addictive portions of their game. As one 2014 article says, there's a few reasons why this game is so addictive. First off, it's simple. The premise of Candy Crush is basic enough for a preschooler, just match three candies of the same color. Initially, the game allows us to win and pass levels with ease, giving us a strong sense of satisfaction. These accomplishments are experienced as mini rewards in our brains, releasing the neurochemical dopamine and tapping into the same neurocircuitry involved in addiction, reinforcing our actions. Despite its reputation as a pleasure chemical, dopamine also plays a crucial role in learning, cementing our behaviors, and training us to continue performing them. If the game remained this easy, however, we'd quickly tire of the jelly beans and gumdrops before becoming bored after a couple binge sessions. But Candy Crush keeps us coming back in several ways. As we play, the game gets harder, the wins and those bursts of dopamine becoming more intermittent. And I know there's a lot of issues with how dopamine has been seen over the years. And I do think it's crucial that we don't just blame our brains and move on here. It's a bit more complicated than that. Atler, an NYU associate professor who speaks about addictive behavior says that part of the game's appeal is also in its moving goals. He argues that many people hate leaving goals incomplete. And when a game like Candy Crush rewards people with goals, it makes the players feel good about themselves. Yet their design reflects Zeno's paradox. It doesn't matter how often you move halfway towards a goal, you will never reach it. Developers can just add more levels or push players to a similar game with a new series of goals. Alter insists that Candy Crush on its own isn't a bad thing. We're not talking about cancer from cigarettes or liver disease from alcohol here, but he does warn that too much can lead to destructive results, just like any other addictive behavior that seeks to eat up your slack time. He cites four major dangers to look out for. If playing the game hurts you financially, i.e. if you're playing it instead of working. Socially, you're playing it when you should be with family or friends. Psychologically, it makes you feel anxious. Or physiologically, you're spending the day on the couch looking for that next level. It may be time to put the phone down. Unfortunately, for quite the few mobile game addicts, the problem has actually gotten pretty damaging. In 2013, Time reported that out of a survey of 1,000 players, 32% ignored friends or family to play the game. 28% played during work, 10% got into arguments with significant others over playtime, and 30% admitted they were addicted. 
And I mean, I think you can do whatever you want with that slack time, whether it's reading, gaming, jogging, that's your free time, you do what you want. I tried to keep a healthy balance, but I'll admit after a long day of researching, there are more than plenty of times where I'm a useless potato for hours and hours on end and I don't do anything that's considered productive by any sense of the word. And it happens and we do need our downtime. That's really important for our minds to reset. I need that potato time to recharge. And if I don't, it damages my work, finances, social life, like literally everything. But these numbers are just a bit worrying. Almost a third of people admitting that they're totally addicted to something that was just supposed to be something fun to do in their downtime. And now it's a problem because they're addicted to it. These numbers are a little bit worrying, almost a third of people admitting they're addicted. But is it really just about easy to pass levels and bright colors? Well, obviously I didn't know the answer, so I had to dig a little bit deeper into the why of it all and see what else I could find. There is one scientific study out there that's determined mobile game addiction isn't really much of a problem in Belgium and Finland. It's good to see people's relationships with their smartphones are not totally toxic everywhere because it feels like I'm at least seeing articles every day all over the US questioning if smartphones are making people stupid or this and that and the other thing. But on the other hand, one study from the Frontiers in Public Health in September, 2019 said this, as a new type of addictive behaviors distinct from traditional internet game addiction on desktop computers, mobile game addiction has attracted researchers' attention due to its possible negative effects on mental health issues. However, very few studies have particularly examined the relationship between mobile game addiction and mental health outcomes due to a lack of specified instrument for measuring this new type of behavioral addiction. In this study, we examined the relationship between mobile game addiction and social anxiety, depression, and loneliness amongst adolescents. We found that mobile game addiction was positively associated with social anxiety, depression, and loneliness. A further analysis on gender difference in the paths from mobile game addiction to these mental health outcomes was examined, and the results revealed that male adolescents tend to report more social anxiety when they use mobile game addictively. I can appreciate that this study also discusses their own limitations and makes it clear that this topic isn't researched all that often. The researchers end by saying, despite the limitations, our study has examined the association between mobile game addiction and depression, social anxiety, and loneliness based on an adolescent sample. The results indicated that mobile game addiction was positively related to these mental health problems. And this is especially true for male adolescents as they are more likely to experience a higher level of social anxiety, depression, and loneliness after excessive use of mobile gaming. Therefore, mental health educators and practicers should be aware of the negative effects caused by addictive mobile gaming, as this is such a common phenomenon today. Specifically, attention should be given to male adolescents who are addicted to mobile gaming as they may suffer more social anxiety. And look, my intention here isn't to sound like a Karen that believes phone games are the devil's work or something because they're not at the end of the day. There's actually quite a few benefits to video games and Angry Birds has apparently been shown to be relaxing and ward off anxiety for some people. Coordination, problem solving skills, memory, all of that can be improved with video games. So I'm sure there's probably some mobile games out there with similar benefits. Just as there's probably mobile games with similar downsides to video game addiction. But again, it's all in that word addiction. Not everyone who plays video games has an unhealthy habit. And in fact, most don't. A recent six-year study, the longest study ever done on video game addiction, found that about 90% of gamers do not play in a way that is harmful or causes negative long-term consequences. 
A significant minority, though, can become truly addicted to video games and as a result can suffer mentally, socially, and behaviorally. The aim of this particular study is to look at the longer-term impact of having a particular relationship with video games and what it does to a person over time, said Sarah Coyne, a professor of family life at BYU and lead author of the research. To see the impact, we examine the trajectories of pathological video gameplay across six years, from early adolescence to emerging adulthood. In addition to finding long-term consequences for addicted gamers, this study published in Developmental Psychology also breaks down gamer stereotypes and found that pathological gaming is not a one-size-fits-all disorder. Pathological video gameplay is characterized by excessive time spent playing video games, difficulty disengaging from them, and disruption to healthy functioning due to gaming. Only about 10% of gamers fall into the pathological video gameplay category. When compared to the non-pathological group, those in the study displayed higher levels of depression, aggression, shyness, problematic cell phone use, and anxiety by emerging adulthood. This was despite the groups being in the same in all these variables at the initial time point, suggesting that video games may have been important in developing these negative outcomes. To measure predictors and outcomes to video game addiction, Coyne studied 385 adolescents as they transitioned into adulthood. Each individual completed multiple questionnaires once a year over a six-year period. These questionnaires measured depression, anxiety, aggression, delinquency, empathy, pro-social behavior, shyness, sensory reactivity, financial stress, and problematic cell phone use. As for that problematic cell phone use category, that might be where mobile video games fall into. I can't say for certain the article doesn't specifically state if that's the case, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was. Again, I don't think this study is trying to say that video games cause depression or anxiety in 10% of people who play it, simply that it may exacerbate an already existing condition or issue. One article from the New York Times Magazine did a really lengthy story about, can you be addicted to video games? Even though they didn't really cover mobile games, it's an interesting read that makes a few points I found particularly relevant. Their first story is about a young man named Charlie Brack. They said Brack's passion for video games didn't cause him issues. He had straight A's, he gamed with his cousin, and he argued with his parents that was no different from their habit of watching television. It wasn't until a difficult breakup with his girlfriend and the death of his grandmother that Brack sunk into a depression and his gaming became a problem. It wasn't the cause in this case, but an unhealthy coping mechanism. There's more examples given and individuals have their own story and their reasons for their unhealthy habits vary. A few telling quotations break up the article like, the more I played, the more depressed I got, but the more depressed I got, the more I played. One 19 year old says it was a slow slope downward that he stopped going to class, stopped caring about when he didn't have a roommate or anyone to be accountable. He just thought, screw it, I can do what I want for however long I want to. The article also addresses loot boxes and video games designs. The fact that video games are designed to be addictive is an open secret in the gaming industry. With the help of hired scientists, game developers have employed many psychological techniques to make their products as unquittable as possible. Most video games initially entice players with easy and predictable rewards. To keep players interested, many games employ a strategy called intermittent reinforcement, in which players are surprised with rewards at random intervals. Some video games punish players for leaving by refusing to suspend time. In their absence, the game goes on and they fall behind. Mobile games too are designed to make us, well, you know, keep playing them. 
There's even articles out there entitled, How to Design a Mobile Game So Addictive It's Almost Irresponsible. But is this really an addiction in the traditional sense of the word? Personally, when I hear the word addiction or try to define it, I'm probably thinking of something more dangerous, at least inherently dangerous in my mind, like you know drugs or alcohol, not a game that's played in someone's downtime. And maybe that's my own bias and maybe that's a bias that's shared by some of you. So the question here really becomes, is it the games that are the drug or is it our brains chasing that feel good feeling and happiness that the games give us? And now it's time to thank today's sponsor, Audible. Audible is the leading provider of spoken word entertainment and audiobooks, ranging from bestsellers and new releases, memoirs, business motivation, and anything else you could imagine under the sun. Audible allows you to listen to books on the go so that you can do other things while you're listening in case you don't have the time to sit down and just read the traditional book instead. Recently, I've been listening to an old classic. It's a book that I actually have on my library shelf, but I just don't have the time to read it right now because I'm so crunched with everything going on. So while I'm doing laundry or in the car driving, I like to listen to a book called Traffic, Why We Drive the Way We Do and What It Says About Us. And it's by Tom Vanderbilt. And it's a fascinating book. I absolutely love this thing. And I'm so happy that I can just listen to it now instead of having to sit down and read it. And it's just all about like the psychology of driving and what kind of driving styles mean and how is it good or bad for society. And now you can catch up on this book or any of your favorites or even something new you wanna listen to with today's offer. Make sure to visit audible.com slash casket or text casket to 500-500 to start your free 30-day trial. Even if you're not interested in nonfiction books, which is what I mainly tend to read, but if you're super into fiction, whatever it is that you like to read, there are tons of titles for you to choose from on Audible and all of them are narrated by people who have extremely soothing voices, which is also very helpful. Again, make sure you go to audible.com slash casket, or again, text casket to 500-500 to start your free 30-day trial of Audible. In an article from WHO or the World Health Organization, they officially added gaming disorder as a new disorder under substance abuse and addictive behaviors. Gaming disorder they define as excessive and irrepressible preoccupation with video games resulting in significant personal, social, academic, or occupational impairment for at least 12 months. The latest edition of the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, the American Psychiatric Association Clinical Bible, recognizes internet gaming disorder, more or less the same thing, as a condition warranting more research. The decision has gotten a lot of pushback because the gaming industry doesn't want their products stigmatized. And as we mentioned, a sizable faction of scientists also disputes the idea that video games are addictive. The arguments against the validity of video game addiction are numerous, but they generally converge on three main points. Excessive gameplay is not a true addiction, but rather a symptom of a larger underlying problem like depression or anxiety. The notion of video game addiction emerges more from moral panic about new technologies than from scientific research and clinical data. And making video game addiction an official disorder risks pathologizing a benign hobby and proliferating sham treatments. It's absolutely not an addiction, says Andrew Shabilsky, director of research at the Oxford Internet Institute. This whole thing is an epidemic dumpster fire. People enjoy and sometimes form all-consuming passions for countless activities. 
fishing, baking, running, and yet we don't typically pathologize those. Not every psychologist feels the same though, as Daria Kuss says. I don't think we as psychologists can be justified in saying gaming addiction doesn't exist. From my experience of researching it over 10 years, I can tell you that I am very sure that this is indeed a real addiction requiring professional help. So is gaming addiction a problem or a symptom? Personally, I can see both sides, even though I lean more towards the video games aren't addictive on their own side of the argument. I think the one good reason for The Who to have done this is because it brings more awareness to the issue. It lets people know that this is truly a problem. When someone says gamer, there's still sort of a social stigma around that. Like, yes, it's changing as we're going into 2021 and people are far less embarrassed to call themselves a gamer than what it used to be. Whether it's because people are more open, the community's grown, gamers can actually earn a living from gaming or a combination of the three, the point still stands. The stigma around gamers has lessened, but it still exists to some degree. So for the who to say, hey, this can truly become an unhealthy addiction for some people, it's not entirely a bad thing, I guess. But on the other hand, labeling someone's excessive gaming use as a disease when it may only be a symptom is not exactly helpful in the long run, at least that makes sense in my head. Some might argue that it doesn't tackle the root of the problem and the source of the addiction to begin with. According to Time Magazine, still not all behavior experts agree that gaming is distinct enough from any other internet or smartphone-based behavior and question why gaming is singled out. The criteria used by the WHO are similar to those used to distinguish any addictive behavior, namely that the behavior starts to take priority over a person's life to the exclusion of behaviors essential to good health. Some researchers note that not enough research has been done on gaming behavior and particularly the gaming culture to warrant its description as a disorder. Michelle Kolder-Karis, an independent contractor on public mental health issues who has published research on gaming behavior, does not rule out that some gaming behavior can be problematic, but notes that some of the studies highlighting the addictive and all-consuming nature of gaming include not just gaming, but general internet and smartphone use, and therefore may not measure gaming's specific effect. But back to our original question, why are mobile games so addictive? Well, If I had to give my opinion based on the research we've looked at thus far, I'd say they're effective in distracting from a variety of other particular anxieties that may exist. They can make you feel good about yourself with what many call those dopamine hits, and for mobile games especially, it's right there in your pocket, always available. Some call smartphones the world's smallest slot machines, and I think there's some dark truth to that. Hell, one of my sources, NBC, even said that the app Headspace, a meditative app, could be addictive, which, side note, that kind of freaks me out because I use that a little bit when I'm having, you know, a bit of a rough day. So now I'm sitting here like questioning the own apps in my phone, but that's a different issue altogether. But I think we can all say that we are more anxious than ever and gaming usage is rising. Whether or not there's a correlation between the two, I can't say for certain and I won't say for certain. And there's really not many studies done to create that you know, positive correlation between the two either. I know I like to play games to relax. And for those of you that don't know, you should be joining me on twitch.tv slash the Illuminati to join me when I am playing games because I like to hang out and just chat while we're just laying back, relaxing and taking in the day. 
And for anyone who has been on my streams, you know that I don't stream very often because I just mentally, I try and limit my time on what I'm doing because I just go absolutely bananas. I like hyper-focus sometimes on things or I just get zoned out for hours. It's a terrible thing. So I have to like mentally set time limits with myself and hold myself to them, which is why I don't stream for many hours at a time, but that's a totally different issue. That's at least how I deal with things. So, you know, that's my personal input there. At the end of the day though, it's your free time and it's 100% your call with, you know, what you do with your free time. Just, you know, be sure to check in with yourself too and make sure that you're doing okay. With that being said, that's where I'm going to end today's episode of The Corporate Casket. Thank you all for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, please consider following or subscribing on whatever listening platform you are currently listening to this on. I upload every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, so make sure you stay tuned so that you can always catch the latest episode. Thank you so much for making it to The Corporate Casket, and I'll see you in the next one. Bye.